way. Well, with that being said, would you turn with me to the Gospel of Mark? Mark chapter 6 is where we left off last week, and uh, we're in the middle of that chapter, Mark chapter 6, and we're going to begin looking at verse 30, so you'll, you'll want to take a look at that, but, um, but as, we, um, as we get ready to look at that passage, I kind of wanted to point out the obvious that um, for us here in America, at least, it's that time of year again. Y'all know what time of year it is? Sweaters and scarfs, pumpkin spice lattes and pumpkin spice steaks and things like that. Now, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's getting crazy. Uh, uh, college football, maybe. Uh, it, we're getting ready to, to, kids are going to trick or treat and put on their little costumes. Maybe, maybe they will. Some of them won't. I don't know. Uh, but that's not the time of the year I'm talking about, actually. Yes, it is fall. It is fall in the Northwest. But it's that time of year where our nation and its citizens cast a vote. Right? We're getting ready for an election. There's an election coming up. Uh, you got your ballots, you live in Washington State, you're registered to vote, then you've gotten your ballots in the mail by now, probably, hopefully, and it's time for you to cast your ballot. Some of you will, maybe some of you won't. I don't know who you're going to vote for, I don't really care. Well, that's only partly true. Um, you don't have to tell me who you're going to vote for. That's not what this is about. But we, we vote for our elected officials every fall. And, and this is one of those, quote-unquote, important votes. There's never been a more important election in the history of our country. I, I seem to hear that every two years. Every two years, it's the most important election ever. And here's where we vote for senators and we vote, vote for representatives. Uh, I don't think we're, we're not voting for our governor or our president this year, but we did two years ago. And as we did that, I think many of us were wondering the, the question, does this person have my best interests at heart? Does this person care about me? Do they like what I like? Do they want what I want? And some have argued that the reason that the election cycle has gone the way it's gone is because there are a lot of people casting their votes saying, this is what I want, and kind of coming out of the woodworks. Maybe that's true, maybe not. Uh, again, I don't I, I, I'm not a real political person, but I, I can't help but think about uh, how, we, how we process all of that, how we think about our elected officials. We want them to look out for our interests. They represent us, after all. Are we asking the right questions? We're going to look at the Bible. This is about Jesus. This is about what God has to say for us in the Bible. It's not about politics today. But this question of, does our leader have our interests at heart? Does our leader really care about us? Is a question that every one of us have asked. Maybe we do ask. Maybe that thought comes up often. Maybe we haven't voiced it quite like that. But think about it for a moment. You all want that. You all want that. So let's look together, though, at Mark chapter 6. 
Mark chapter 6. We're going to read verses 30 to 44. And if you're able and would like to stand with me, you may do so. I'm going to read there beginning at verse 30. Follow along with me as I read it aloud, please. Verse 30, The apostles returned to Jesus and told Him all that they had done and taught. And He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, in the next um, moments that we have together, I pray that you will speak to our hearts, each and every one of us, that will, you will use this word to, to change us, to transform us, to teach us. Help us to see more of you. Help us to respond in faith as well, God, to whatever it is you're calling us to. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks. Be seated, please. Well, this question, I, I just want to ask a couple questions here. Because this, these are the questions that, that I think the disciples were probably curious about. The, the, the disciples were asking. They, they come to Jesus. They return to Him. They're referred to as the apostles. And this is only one of two places where they're called apostles. The last one was back in uh, chapter 3. And they're apostles because that means ones who are sent. They're sent on a mission. And they had just completed their mission. And so just completing their mission, they return to Jesus. They, they shared with him what they had done. They shared with him the things that they had taught, uh, much, like a, much like maybe some missionaries coming from overseas, um, coming on their, their sabbatical or, or their stateside assignment, and, and they're, re, they're declaring to everybody, here's what we've done, here's what we taught people, here's what's happened. And of course, I'm sure they were enthused by it, but they were also probably weary because immediately Jesus says to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place, desolate place, a wilderness place, a secluded place, and rest a while. And they were, and it says, for many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to 
eat. The disciples want to eat. They need to rest. They have needs. They have physical needs, just like all of us do, just like Jesus had. And the last time, in fact, somebody was, it was mentioned that somebody had no leisure even to eat, it was Jesus himself, again, in Mark chapter 3, because he was so busy with the crowds. So, the question that the disciples were probably asking, and maybe you have asked as well, well, what about my needs? Well, what about me? I mean, there's all this work to be done. There are all these people in need. There's people who need to be taught. There's people who need to be healed. There's people who have all kinds of burdens. What about me? Hmm? What about my rest? What about my food? Jesus, though, shows them there in this verse that He knows their need. And He knows our need. Come away. You need to come away to a desolate place. This is the right thing. You need to rest. And while we're resting, eat. How is He going to provide for that? Well, it says they go into a boat to a desolate place by themselves. That's what they did. They got back into the boat. That's, that's their, their, their primary means of travel around that area, around the lake, um, uh, around that Galilean lake. So what should we take from that when we think about the same question, when we ask the same question? Does Jesus know your need? Yes. I believe He does. He states as much here about the disciples. And by extension, as Mark is writing this down for his readers who are in Rome, he's reminding them, this Jesus that we're proclaiming to you, this, this one who is the Son of God, the Christ, He knows your need too. He understands what you're going, for, going through. He understands that the work is difficult. If you're a believer and you have, been, you have made any attempt whatsoever, even the smallest attempt to be obedient to God and to be faithful to Him, you have experienced this difficulty of, I'm pouring myself out and I don't know if I can do it anymore. I need rest. I need food. One writer said that the, the great demands on our lives, the great demands on those of us who are, are trying to be obedient to Jesus mean that we have an even greater need to be with Jesus, to spend time with Him. Remember, what did He, what did he say the apostles were to do? What did He call them to do? He, hey, I want you, I'm calling you apostles. Uh, you are my twelve so that you will what? Be with me and be sent out. And they had just been sent out. Now He's saying, I want you to be with me, to spend time with me. I have sensed, <laughs> I, have, I have felt that myself over the years and I have not been obedient to that either. I have felt the great demands, I have felt the pressures, and oftentimes I've done probably what every one of you have done. As you get busy, as you get more and more stressed, you spend less and less time with Jesus. I do it all the time. And this passage convicts me. 
convicts me of my attitude towards him as if he's not the one who can provide my needs. That really what's going to provide for my needs is binge-watching television shows or, you know, crushing candy or something like that. Or just holding myself up and saying, I, I, I can't be with anybody now. I can't, I can't spend any time with people, my family, my children. Sometimes that leads us to feel guilty about, oh, I don't know, taking vacations even. <laughs> Going to Hawaii for two weeks. And the nagging sense that comes back day after day, maybe in some days, moment by moment, uh, should I really be here? Do I really deserve this? Do I, re- I mean, there's so much work to do. Look at, look at the crowds. Look at the needs. It's easy to think, I don't have time for Jesus. I don't have time for rest. But that's not what God created us for. He created us for rest. He created us for Him from the very beginning. Right in Genesis. He created them and He placed them in a garden and He walked with Adam every day and talked with him, spent time with him. He gave them six days to work and a seventh day to rest so that they would, they would enjoy that cycle of work and rest and relaxation and even what we call recreation or recreation where we're doing things that are fun and enjoyable and they're not wrong. But sin comes in and twists the whole thing. And now now it's like we don't know God like we should know Him. We don't spend time with Jesus like we should with Him because we we don't desire that like we should desire Him. So we feel guilty about that time that we spend. Never feel guilty about the time you spend in prayer. Never feel guilty about the time you set aside to be in the Word of God, even if it means you have to say no to something else. Never feel guilty about the times that you need to say, I need to step away from this job and take a few hours or a few days or weeks off so that I can be refreshed, so that I can spend time with the Lord. And, and, and I'm not saying that every vacation needs to be a, a week-long prayer retreat. <laughs> but God created us for this. He sees it. He knows the need. And He knows our needs. And He's here to answer them. But He doesn't always answer them the way we want, does He? He doesn't always meet our perceived needs. He always gives us what we do truly need. And here's what happens here. See, the the crowds, the many, they saw them going and they recognized them and and they ran on foot ahead of them to to get there. And Jesus sees them and goes ashore. He sees the great crowd. He has compassion on them. He knows. He sees not only the needs of His disciples, but He sees the needs of everybody outside. Everybody outside of this place today, even. And He says, I'm going to meet them. 
their needs as well. So we might ask this question. We might ask this question of God, uh, of Jesus Himself, and say, well, how can this be good for me? I thought you knew what my needs were. I thought you knew what I wanted. But how can this be good? This doesn't feel good. It feels like you're trying to, you, you want to meet everybody else's need except my own. <laughs> what does He do? Let's focus in real quickly on verse 34, though. Because Jesus sees the crowds. He has compassion on them. That's a word meaning that He had this gut feeling. This deep down in His, in his gut, He was like, Oh my, it's almost a stomach ache of compassion for these people. And why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Interesting, it's very interesting that only in Mark's Gospel does this phrase appear. Now, what we just read a moment ago, we know what's coming, right? You know that He's going to perform a miracle. He's going to multiply five loaves and two fish. I wish I had five loaves and two fish for you right now. And we could see how that worked out today, even for this small group. But we know what's going to happen. And this is such an important miracle. This is such an important moment in the life of Jesus that all four gospel writers include it. It's the only miracle, aside from the resurrection, that appears in all four gospels. But this phrase is unique. Only Mark says that he looked at them and he thought they were, they, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. What did he mean by that? He, did he mean that they're all sheep, they're just kind of you know, dirty and smelly, and they probably were a little dirty and smelly. I mean, it was the first century after all. They didn't have running water and showers and deodorant and things like that. Uh, does it mean that they're all hard-headed and stubborn? Well, yeah, maybe. But, but really, this is more of what we, what we heard from Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 34, when God promises, and not just there, but throughout the Old Testament, where God promises that He is going to be their shepherd and that He will send good shepherds into their life to lead them and rule over them. And those good shepherds, He meant them as the prophets like Moses and He meant them as military leaders like Joshua and He meant them as kings like David and the good kings that came after Him. Those were the shepherds for the sheep. And Jesus and the prophets and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, He's constantly, he's constantly um, railing against the shepherds of Israel who are abusing the shepherds of Israel who are taking advantage of them. They're not meeting their needs. And, and I think Mark has in mind in this passage as he's recording what happened to Jesus and what happened to the crowds, he's thinking, you remember last week when we talked about that one guy named Herod? Remember, he, he called himself a king. He, he proclaimed to be royalty. Right? He, was, he thought he was all that. And he threw this huge banquet. And he, who did he invite? He invited his nobles. He invited the military commanders. He invited the leading men of Galilee. And he threw this big banquet and he said, Look at how great I am. I am a good king. And look at the bounty that is set before you. The platters full of meats and breads and fruit and heads. 
Right? But Jesus looks at the crowds and goes, these people are sheep without a ship. They have no ruler. They have no king. They have no one providing for them. They have no one meeting their needs. And what does he do? He began to teach them. (laughs) He began to teach them, he says, many things. He began to teach them much. He comes to be a shepherd. He comes, he starts out by teaching. There's truth for you to learn. There is a reality that you need to be aware of. That you're not. About me. About, what do you think he taught about? What do you think he... What do you think? What's he been teaching about thus far? The kingdom. The kingdom of God. I'm sure that came up. He's teaching about what, what is a true kingdom. Not Herod's kingdom, but God's kingdom. And he's teaching them about what that looks like. What that's like. Oh, the kingdom of God is like a sower who goes out and sows in his field and some seed is scattered on the path and some in the weeds and some in the rocks and some falls on good soil. And the ones that fall on good soil have a harvest of uh, 30 and 60, 100 times. An amazing, miraculous harvest. That's not a normal harvest. That's how the king supplies. That's how the king provides. He, maybe he taught them that. Maybe these people needed to hear that. That he had related all the way back in chapter 4. How is this good for us, though? The disciples want to know. Great. You're teaching the people again. Why are we doing Bible studies? Again. Why is he preaching for 45 minutes? Again! What about my needs? They come to him because the hour grew late, right? His disciples came to him and said in verse 35, this is a desolate place. What do you think they meant by that? This is a desolate... There's no food here. Right. The hour is now late. They say, send them away to the surrounding fields. They even say, the fields, the the word here in ESV is countryside. It's a word for, send them out into those fields over there. Maybe they can pick their own grain. And... Or, or find a fig tree and, and pluck something out or, or something. Send them to the fields and send them to the villages. This is a desolate place. But, what was that desolate place for? Think about it. What did Jesus say? Come away by yourselves to a desolate place. And they went in a boat to a desolate place. That place was meant for them to be a place of rest. A place of retreat. A place of, you know, now we're getting our needs met. It's like going up to the mountains for a men's retreat or a marriage retreat and like, that's where we're going. We're going to get away and this is going to be ours. And imagine your children follow you there. That's wrong. (laughs) They have needs. Mom, Dad, we're hungry. They're saying, this is a desolate place. This was meant for us, not for these people. 
This is meant for our rest, for our relaxation, for our feast. We were supposed to have this time with you, Jesus. This was just me and Jesus' time. And all these people have interfered. How can this be good for me? Have you ever asked that question? When your plans aren't quite working out like you want them to? I think about our mothers. Maybe even daddies who are home with children all the time too. I'm like, how can this be good? You know? Where is the rest? My wife almost went insane with our little ones. Because they're so wonderful. But because it's hard. It's so hard. It's hard to lead a family. Whether you have one child, or you have seven, or or whether you have 19 and counting, or whatever it is. It's hard. It's hard to lead a, a missional community. It's hard to pastor a church. It's hard to be a teacher and to have those people depending on you. It's hard when there are needs all around you and you're just being sucked dry day after day after day. And all you want is, this desolate place is for us. But Jesus, His heart, His compassion is for more than this church. It's for more than your missional community or it's for more than your discipleship group. It's for more than just your family. It's, more, it's for more than just you. And He looks on them because they are sheep without a shepherd. They need me. That's what they need. So what do you think Jesus says? You're right. You're right, guys. I apologize. I know you need some me time. Let's send them away. They'll, they'll get their food. They'll take care of uh, We can't meet everybody's needs. Is that, is that what Jesus says? He, well, He never says that. And He didn't say it here either. But He did say something else. You give them something to eat. How would you like that? We are tired. We are hungry. I, don't, I haven't seen the disciples eat yet. And I haven't seen them rest yet. They have unmet needs. And Jesus says, go, meet this other need. You give them something to eat. Follow it along. The indignant reply, uh, uh, yeah, a 200 denarii. That's equal to about... Uh, uh, let's just say that uh, somebody works all year long at minimum wage and, and makes about, I don't know, somewhere between 14 and 20, give or take, okay? 14 and $20,000 a year, and that's how much they're talking about, uh, approximately. This is what he's talking about. He's saying, 20 grand wouldn't feed this crowd. You think we have that available to us? You think we can go? Well, of course they can't go somewhere and buy that food. And they can't call Uber Eats. They're not going to come and deliver for them. So they are indignant. They are scratching their head and maybe feeling a little bit sarcastic. I can identify with that. But he says to them, how much do you have? How many loaves, how many breads? The word loaf 
is the word for bread. And it's translated differently. You know, he broke the bread. He, how, ma- how much bread do you have, he says. He says, we got five bread. And we got two fish. Bad grammar. But five bread, two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. And they sat down in groups. This is really weird, you know, because I love studying, I love looking at the nerdy stuff like the Greek. And this word for, the second word for groups in verse 40 is a word meaning like garden beds. Plots. Little plots on the ground. So you kind of, they're sitting down like they're like plots on the ground, like they're going to be harvested later this season or something. I don't know. It's really weird. But those are the kinds of weird things you find when you delve into that. But he says they, they sat down in groups. But here's another unique thing that Mark puts in. By hundreds and by fifties. They were ordered. They were orderly. Um, maybe it made it a little bit easier to feed them, for the disciples to disperse what the bread that, that Jesus was going to provide. Um, maybe it made them easier to count because you know Jesus was all about counting heads. He was like, he had to report to God the Father, God, we had 5,000. Yeah, I fed them all. You know, and God's like, good job, son. I'm well pleased with you. Well, he would say that. He did say that about Jesus, but not because Jesus was interested in the counts. We'll get back to that in a second. He took the, took the loaves, took the fish, looked up to heaven, said a blessing, broke the loaves, gave them to the disciples to set before the people. He divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. They all ate and they were satisfied. You see what Jesus is doing here? Do you see? This is, this is an impossibility. An impossibility, and, and it's something, it's the kind of thing that Jesus asks us to do all the time. I want you to do this. I want you to move to a foreign country, and I want you to plant a church. Uh, can I, can I, do I have a say in that? <laughs> I want you to start something new. I want you to, I want you to walk across the street and tell your neighbor about me. Or maybe just say, what was your name again? (laughs) We've been living here 10 years. I forgot your name. He asks us to do things, though. That's not impossible to do. But he asks us to do the impossible. He asks the disciples to do the impossible. He says, you give them something to eat. What do you have? Okay, bring it. The question then we ask when we are faced with that is, how can we do this? There's no way. We, we may feel like Moses all the way back in the book of Numbers. Moses in Numbers chapter 11 sees the need. And here's the need. The need is so great that the people are grumbling. We'd never do that today. 
But Moses hears that and he goes, how shall I supply enough meat to feed all of these people? I don't have enough of the good things they want. I don't have the meats that they want. I don't have cucumbers. Cucumbers were in the Old Testament. I don't have enough cucumbers for them. I don't have these things. You know who's he talking to? He's talking to God. And he's saying, God, why did you put me here? Why did you put me with these people? I can't provide what they need. And just like Moses, and just like the disciples, we cannot provide what people need. What we have is not enough. But He can. He does. He will meet those needs. And He will do it. He will do it through us. Because that's what He's doing with the disciples. He's not, he doesn't tell the disciples, okay, disciples, chill, sit down, you guys hang out. I got this. He says, bring me what you have. And I will do something with it that you couldn't imagine doing. I will do the impossible with it. And then, what does he do? In verse 41, he divides the bread and he gives it to the disciples. And they give it to the people. Because that's what Jesus does. That is his mission with us. That is his mission for the church. To take Him and what only He has and what only He can give and only He can provide and He does it through us and we give to others. And we give money and we give time and we give teaching we give the gospel we give anything and everything that He provides for us. And here's the thing this is not about I don't know, have you, have you ever had a meal of just bread and fish? I don't even think they had sriracha. I mean, it was bad. Bread and fish. No mention of butter either. I'm really disappointed at that. I had a roll last night and I, was, I started to eat it and I went, this needs butter. And thank goodness the army provided butter for me. And I had butter on my bread. But imagine, this is a humble meal. Oh, it's satisfied. And that's the thing. That they took that, they set it before the people. He divided the two fish among them all. And he uses that word, all. And they all ate and were satisfied. Or sometimes that word is translated as filled. They weren't content with a morsel. This was not a communion wafer. This was enough to fill them. It was kind of, Maybe it was lembas bread. I don't know. Some of you might get that, and some of you... Anyway. But they were satisfied. They were filled. It was enough for them. They went away happy. They went away full. They were going to sleep well that night. This was not Herod's banquet. This was not the finest of choice meats. 
This was not the fresh fruit. It was not the soups and the desserts and the pies and the cakes. It wasn't all those great, savory, excellent things. It was simple, but it satisfied them. Jesus satisfies us. He may not do it through extravagance. Oftentimes it's just the simplest things. Paul knew this to be true. When he talked about his contentment, he knows how it is to be brought low. He knows how it is to abound. He knows to have plenty and hunger, what it's like for both. And in all of those things, he knows that he can do it all through him who strengthens him. And then he tells his brothers and sisters in Christ, he says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And when he writes to the Corinthians in his second letter, two Corinthians, second Corinthians, that letter is full of we are weak, we are broken, we are humble, but God is good, He provides good things, He has, we have this treasure in jars of clay, so that it can be seen that this power is not from us, it's from God. And, and God will supply all of your needs so that in everything you will abound in every good work. And then Paul says, you know, this is not just something I preach to you. It's not just something I learned by reading the scrolls. I experienced it for myself. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. That's the Jesus that we have. That's the Jesus that we need. He satisfies us. All of us. Look at this. Verse 43. And the disciples, they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. This whole time they're wondering, what about me? What about my needs? How can this be good for me? How in the world can we do this? And Jesus is the one who meets their needs. He's the one who comes and says, You need rest. You need food. You got it. Follow me. Follow me. Let me use you. And in doing so, I will meet every need of yours according to my riches and glory. That's what Jesus does. This basket, you may be wondering about this basket. We think of baskets as all kinds of different sizes. But this basket, Josephus, a, a, a Jewish historian, wrote about, he said this basket was what the Romans' soldiers carried with them. It was, a, it was like a satchel. And they put their, check this out, they put their daily rations in that basket so they would have what they would need for the day's march or the day's battle or the day's training. And at the end of that day, the beginning of the next, they would fill it again with their day's need. That's what the Roman soldiers did. Does that sound familiar? Daily bread? When Jesus taught His disciples to pray, He said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Your name. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And when Jesus is out in the wilderness with the people who have exited their villages and their cities and they've gone out to follow Him and now they're in need and now they're hungry and the disciples are like, how can we provide food for them? Jesus does it. Does that sound familiar too? Do you remember what, they, what it was like for the Hebrews? Every morning they picked up dew off the ground. Not really, it wasn't dew. It looked like wafers of some kind. What is it? Manna. It was manna. And they ate that. And that was their daily portion. There were daily bread. Their needs were met every day. And on the sixth day, what happened? They gathered twice as much. Because there would, be, there would be no bread on the seventh day. There would be no manna on the seventh day. So they needed to gather that up and put it in a basket and save it for the next day. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's providing for their daily needs. It's a simple meal. It's humble fare. But it's satisfying. And He does that for them. And I know He does it for us. Finally, seriously, finally, the last verse, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Wow. That's not just a lot of people. And, and, it's not, and, and it is men, by the way. It's not people. It's not 5,000 people. Mark uses a word that only means men. It was 5,000 men. And Matthew helps clarify that when he writes about this. He says, besides the women and children. Just to be clear, this was 5,000 men. There were women and children there as well. But why does Mark say that? Why does he say 5,000 men? Why does he say they bore in groups by hundreds and by fifties? Why does he do all of that? Well, some people reading this, some people experiencing it, might have thought, this is it. This guy takes care of us. This guy teaches us good things. This guy has the answers. This guy provides for our needs. Herod doesn't do that. None of our other rulers did that. Maybe this guy is the guy who's going to lead us in victory. So they're grouped together. There's 5,000 men. There's an army ready to go. That's, what's, that's what we have here. We have an army ready to go. All Jesus has to say is, take up arms against the Romans. We're in Galilee after all, the rebellious Galileans. There was always a re rebellion going on up there. There was always a revolution going on in Galilee. Let's do this. John, chapter 6, verse 15, he re reports that the people wanted to force him. They wanted to take him by force to be their king. The revolution had begun in this desolate place. Well, they were probably seeing, looking at him and going, this is finally the candidate we've been hoping for. He's the one 
I mean, look at that. I mean, we just read his, his stump, we, we hear his stump speech, and we, we read his platform, and, and we're like, this guy is our guy. He's us. He's going to meet our needs. He's going he's gonna to vote for us. He's going he's gonna to take care of us. Got news for you. Jesus is not on our side. Not the way you think. Not the way you think. Jesus is not here to, to, to give you all of your little desires. He's not an elected official. He's not somebody we vote for in that way. See, what happens, Jesus came and He met all of their needs, but then He, he asked them, no, you, you're getting it wrong. It's not about your interests, but you conforming your interests to Me. He came not made in our image, but to transform us, to remake us into His image. That's what He came to do. That's what He came for the people. That's what He's trying to teach the disciples. That's what His point is to the crowd. Now, the rest of the story tells the tale. The rest of the story tells that Jesus didn't take up arms. He didn't say, Growly to me, let's storm Herod's castle. Let's storm the... the, the uh, Praetorium in Jerusalem. No. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. He came to do this with His body. He came to be broken for us. At the end of this story here in Mark, we see Jesus taking the bread and saying, this is my body broken for you. And in the words that he used right here, that, that Mark wrote down right here, he looked up to heaven and he blessed it. And he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. See, Jesus is the bread that we need in the wilderness. Jesus is the good shepherd. The good shepherd laid down his life for his sheep. Jesus is the ruler, the king that came to give their lives purpose and meaning and us as well. And he asks us to follow him, to come to him and get on his side, to get on board with him, to join him in his mission, to join him in serving others, to be used by him in whatever way he decides to use us to meet the needs of others. As, you, uh, as you've been here today and as we've been talking, maybe you've been thinking about the needs of people around you. Maybe you've been thinking about the needs of people in your family or your circle of friends. What do they need most? Some of it's food. Some of it's a house. Some of it's a job. Some of it's a car. Some of it's release from addiction, some of it's mental health, some of it's a healthy relationship, any number of things. They, they need those things, but they need Jesus more than anything. I had a chance to tell Fiona a couple weeks ago um, when she asked me about, about people in um, homosexual relationships. I said, so do they need to stop doing that? They need, to, they need to not be like that. They need to, 
this and that. I mean, she's asking me these a real honest question. I said, I said, no. The the thing they need more than anything is they need Jesus, and they need to know that He is everything. That He is all satisfied. That He is the shepherd that leads them to green pastures and water and restores his or her soul. And then Jesus will change. Jesus will transform. Now, He's he's not coming to be made in the image of any one sin or sinner or, or focus group or anything else. He does come to conform. He does conform us. He does come to transform us. He does come to remake us. But the greatest need is that they come to Him. Is that they know who He is. They know who He is all about. They know how glorious and great He is. That's what we have to offer people. In the name of Jesus, He will use us to meet all of those needs according to His riches in glory. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for this time and I thank You for this Word that You've convicted me about. And I know You've convicted many of us, I I know, in this place today. Lord, I pray that we will not walk out of here, um, walk out of here disobedient to You, that we will not walk out of here forgetful or distracted about, about... what it is that you have laid on our heart. And and so I ask that your spirit will remind us of everything you've taught us and that you'll help us to obey you, to to follow you wherever you go and to whomever you lead us to. Now, God, we we will use everything that we have, all the resources, all the gifts that you've given us. It, it might be humble or it might be bountiful, but we'll use it for your glory to lift your name up to meet the needs of others and to help them know the great shepherd who laid down his life for us and for them, Lord. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.